You're listening to a sermon from Tyler Christian Fellowship in Tyler, Texas. Find us on the web at tcftyler.com or send us an email, tcftyler at gmail.com. If you're a guest with us this morning, we're so glad that you've joined us to worship the Lord together. Just make yourself at home. And uh, I know that he uh, has drawn you here for a reason today. So uh, just uh, open up your heart to him because I know he wants to speak to you. I'm uh, continuing a series um, that's uh, based on our uh, mission statement, our vision statement. Uh, touching lives, reaching families, affecting our city, changing our world with the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Uh, and so this is uh, week number three. Um, and today, uh, this is a, a really special um, treat opportunity um, today. So uh, I have been involved in, uh, and I, I think I've told you guys um, before, um, a group of pastors and uh, city leaders that meet together uh, on a monthly basis. And one of the things that we're doing is just building relationships with each other, getting to know one another um, with um, people from other churches, other ministries, um, uh, different ethnic groups. Um, and uh, it's just been such a blessing to do that. And uh, our guest this morning uh, is a regular attender uh, there. Um, he is... Uh, I'll get, get it up here in a second, sorry. He's got several titles. He's the president of the Tyler Independent School Board, which is kind of the reason why I asked him to come um, this morning. He graciously uh, accepted. Um, he's also an executive pastor uh, at Bethel uh, Bible Church, and I am such a fan of Bethel Bible Church. They are so, I mean... People have talked about doing a coffee house downtown for years, and they've done some variation of it. Man, when Bethel made a coffee house down, downtown, it is uh, the um, uh, what is it? The foundry, and they started with the most important thing in a coffee house, and that's good coffee. Uh, but it's a gathering place for such a wide variety of people. Um, they're, they're open, they're, that venue is open for live music um, so often for um, different city events and things like that. Um, and everybody that I know from Bethel is just the highest quality people. I mean, the ministers, um, the, the, um, uh, the pastors, um, just all of, I mean, I just can't say enough about Bethel. Um, he's also a, um, a uh, chaplain uh, with the Texas State Guard, and you've done a couple of tours of duty, right, overseas. Um, he's a West Point uh, graduate, um, so, but I, he has, um, he's been the president of the school board for three or four years, four or five, for two years, seems like three or four years, <laughs> yeah, in dog years, this past year was a pretty eventful uh, year, and uh, I don't know how much you guys have kept up with it, but some of the stuff that he wrote, uh, some of the most difficult things that the school board went through uh, this year were just spot on, man. Just some of the best stuff um, that I've read. So let's give uh, Fritz Hager a good welcome as he comes this morning. Thank you. I didn't know you were going to get a, com a commercial for Bethel. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, I'm, I'm just such a big fan. I can't, can't say it enough. So is it, if you've got a green light, it's on. It's on. Okay. So um, tell us a little bit about yourself and your family. Yeah, so I grew up in Dallas and family moved here to Tyler in 1982. I graduated from Robert E. Lee High School, went off to West Point, as you'd mentioned, and was commissioned an armor officer. I fought in Desert Storm, uh, came back, got married, been married for 26, almost 27 years. Uh, the Lord has blessed us with six children, and uh, we moved I'd, after the Army, did some corporate stuff, led companies, moved to Tyler in 2009 to take my first job in vocational ministry, which was as executive pastor at Bethel, and we've been here for about 10 years. Okay, and so um, tell us what your position is at TISD and what your uh, duties are there. So uh, in 2015, I stepped onto an open slot on the Tyler ISD Board of Trustees. Uh, I've served there for four years now, and uh, two years ago, I was elected by my fellow trustees to be the president of the school board. And your job as a trustee in a school district is to set policy, it is to allocate resources, and you have one employee, which is the superintendent. Um, he or she is charged with the management of the school district, and you act as a board of directors uh, supervising that person. And then you are an advocate in your community. Um, and one of the things that's different, I guess, about uh, school districts compared to, say, city council is we actually serve all the students of Tyler ISD. So I have a specific district that I represent, but um, I don't just focus on the schools or the kids or the family in my district. We try to do what's best for all 18,000 kids in Tyler ISD. Good. So what are some of the major um, challenges that you see that we as a city face, both from your position as a school board uh, president, but just overall being a community leader? So the probably the biggest challenge we face as a community and in Tyler ISD is really related to the disintegration of the family and the poverty in both material terms, but also relational terms that comes with that. And so Tyler ISD right now is about 72% what we call free and reduced lunch, meaning the income level is such that the government says you need extra support just to feed your family. And so uh, with three out of four students coming from a poverty background, that creates challenges for everyone in the classroom. And I can say one of the things that was the biggest change for me, so I left Tyler in 1985 when I went off to West Point, and I came back in 2009. And when I left, the only private high school in Tyler was Gorman. And they had probably about 40 or 50 people there. And when I moved back in 2009, the environment had changed so radically to where pretty much it seemed like everybody went to Lee. Everybody I knew, all my friends and family and everybody I went to church with uh, when it was time to go to high school went to public schools and coming back in 09 it had flipped to where that was really if you uh, were a Christian if you were in the middle class um, three out of four times it seemed like you had taken your kids out of public schools and uh, and left the poor kids and the special ed kids in public schools. And I'd lived in Dallas where Dallas ISD became the place that only the poor kids went and only the special needs kids went. 
and it was awful for the community of Dallas. And so that's why I stepped onto the board was to advocate for Tyler ISD, to help make Tyler ISD excellent again, and to make it a place that is faith-friendly. Um, all the board members are all believers. We still begin our board meetings with prayer, and uh, there's a lot of fear, uh, both amongst teachers and among parents and students, about exercising your faith in the public square, particularly in public schools. And there are some laws that govern that, but there's lots of room for us to be the church in public schools and to not operate in a spirit of fear, but to go and engage our community uh, where 90% of the young people in Tyler attend Tyler Public Schools. Wow, good. So um, I guess it's a, a two-sided question. How can we as a congregation and individuals, but more than that, how can the church um, address um, these issues? I mean, there's, I think there's like 400 churches in Tyler, something like that. That's what I, or the more. Palau, or more, yeah. yeah. Uh, the Palau Association has given us uh, some statistics. And it really seems that, you know, it's kind of a no-brainer um, that the church should be involved in the issues that you're, you're facing. Mm -hmm. And how can we be involved in that? Well, so the first, if you've got school-age kids, I'd encourage you to look at Tyler ISD. We provide an excellent education. All six of my kids go there. Um, the advanced academics, the dual credit, the, the career technology, all those programs are top-notch. Um, and, uh, you know, you hear this phrase that uh, we've taken God out of schools, which I reject. Our God goes wherever he pleases. Uh, we're not taking him out of any place that he wants to be. But in the one way that we have taken God out of the schools is when we take people indwelled by the Holy Spirit out of the school. And so uh, if you're a parent and, or a grandparent, I, I'd encourage you to give Tyler ISD a very thorough look. I realize that's a personal decision. You're trying to make a decision that's what's best for your family. But we need Christians rubbing up against non-Christians uh, on the soccer fields, at the PTA meetings, at the bake sales, wherever these people are. Um, you know, as a pastor working with Christians, if I weren't engaged in public schools, I don't know where I would run into lost people. Yeah. And so um, that would be my, my first plea is if you have school-age kids, consider Tyler ISD. Um, we need you in our schools. The second is... Uh, the way the church in Tyler is stepping in is really through mentoring. And so some of you don't have school-age kids or some of you have chosen a different path. We have right now through the Mentor Alliance about 200 men and women stepping into the lives of, of at-risk youth in our, in our city. And that's men and women. But the challenge is we need about 2,000. You know, 200 is awesome. Wow. 200 is 200 more than we had five years ago, but we need 2,000. Rose City Summer Camps is another um, ministry of the Mentor Alliance. And as, a, as an example of how we make Tyler ISD a faith-friendly place, we run a summer program for about 600 students, and Tyler ISD provides transportation, we provide food, we provide teachers for the academic portion, and then if you kind of think of Pine Cove-like counselors, Rose City Summer Camps provides those folks. They do Bible study. They pray with those kids. 
all at a public school during a public uh, summer program. And we serve about 600 kids in that program. We need to be serving 6,000. Wow. Uh, and through the Palau uh, Association and, and the City Fest and City Serve that's coming, I think April, this next April, is Mentor Month. And so um, all the churches, which are 200 churches involved in the Palau Festival, so far, are, yeah. uh, are going to be um, asking folks to step into the lives of these, of these families. And as impactful as it is for those families, I can tell you the people at our church, it has been transforming for them. Yeah. Um, you know, you get a bunch of uh, old white guys who are mentoring uh, folks they would have never come into contact. And it has opened up a world to them that they didn't know existed right here in our community. And it's been transforming. It's been great for the people in our church who do it. Amen. Good. Okay. Thanks, Fritz. Thanks for uh, My being with Thank us today. You. When we met at uh, TISD, uh, I thought one of the things that Fritz um, shared when we were talking about how the church can be involved, um, especially in public schools, uh, he pointed out that when his kids, I think they went to uh, Rice, were they in Rice? They immediately just began, they, they started with the PTA, um, they started serving, um, you know, serving classrooms and serving kids like that. So. I mean, it's like you have a vested interest. I mean, it's your kids, um, but you immediately get involved and just become, you know, an influencer and a servant uh, in the TISD. So, um, great. So good to have you uh, with us today. Um, I wanted to, so our key scripture this morning um, is from Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 7. And it says, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare uh, you will find your welfare. Um, you'll notice that there's, uh, what do you call the three dots in a row? What's that called? An ellipse. An ellipse? So there's an ellipse there. He says, uh, the scripture actually says, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. We're not in exile, but this is God's intention for us is to seek the welfare of the city that we, that we live in. Um, God intends for us to be influencers in our city, not just residents in our city. And I don't know about you, but there's times that I drive around and I just kind of feel like I'm in the middle of, you know, chaos or something. You know what? This is my city. This is your city. This is not just some place that we happen to live. God has ordained us to be here, and he's also got hope that we are going to be the hope for the city of Tyler um, as, uh, as the church um, and as the body of Christ. Um, so God told them when he, they went into exile, and this is in a foreign land with foreign gods and foreign governments. They were basically without any rights whatsoever. And God says, go in and be a blessing. He told them for them to plant uh, vineyards and, and, uh, you know, and, and just move into the place and settle in and make it your own. Um, and that's what God's intention is for us. Um, God told Abraham that all the nations of the earth would, earth, earth would be blessed by his seed. And he's talking about um, the Messiah there, right? But he's also talking about the body of Christ. All the nations of the earth are going to be blessed by Jesus Christ and by the body of Christ. So that the body of Christ comes in and, and, uh, and has a, uh, a vested interest 
uh, in the cities that they move into, in the countries, uh, into the nations that they move into. Um, when, uh, when Jesus was uh, teaching, several different times when he was teaching, someone would come to him and they would say, you know, what's the greatest um, commandment? And you know the reason why that, because there were like hundreds of commandments that they had come up with based on the, on the basic commandments that God had given um, Moses. And they're like, there's so many of them here. Can you just distill it down? Can you just give us something like a real clear target to shoot at? And um, one time Jesus answered them. One time he asked them, how do you read it? But it's, the Bible is pretty clear. There's two commandments, two great commandments. The first is the most important, and the second flows out of that. And that's love the Lord your God with all, all that you are. Your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength, your, your hopes, your dreams, um, your passions, your physical body. Love the Lord your God with all that you are. And the second is like that. It says, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, he's not... He's not like oversimplifying the law. He's just given us this is what God's heart is for that. And he's not just talking about in church. And he's not just talking about your family. But he's talking about reaching across the lines to people that you don't know and people that you're not around and people that you may feel a little bit uncomfortable with. Listen, man, the Holy Spirit is able to connect with people on levels that we could never connect. He's gifted us for that. He's called us for that. And so if I'm just looking at my own ability and my own strength, I'm not going to be very effective. But if I'm stepping out in faith, reaching across the aisle, reaching across the line to people that are different than me, I guarantee you God is going to give us some success there. And that's what he wants us to do. There's too many people, too many examples of people wearing their faith, you know, on their sleeve. Or just like it's, it's some kind of... A, um, Hypocrite means mask is what it means. And it's like wearing a mask and presenting yourself to be something. But listen, if your faith is real, it's the inner core of what you are. It's when all those outer, outer layers get stripped off by whatever you go through in life. When you get down to the real you, it's faith. And that's what is going to transform the world. It's not what we would put on display, but it's actually who we are in the core of our being. It's who we are on the inside. Too, there's just too many examples today, and every day, every, every time you turn on the news, you've got another one, of people who present themselves as being something, and then they're actually not. I have a theory, and that theory is that God likes to knock people off of their high horse. That's my theory. God likes to expose us for what we really are. Because when I look around here, and I'm not saying we're perfect, but I'm telling you what, man, you guys are legitimate. You guys are the real deer. You're bona fide, okay? And I know that. You're not going to be in the headlines. Thank God for that. But you are going to be on the front lines because this is the kind of people that God builds his kingdom with. It's the real people. It's the real rank and file. And when we see these people present themselves as being something and then it turns out to be false, there's something within us that just says that's not the, the whole story. That's not the whole story because there are legitimate people who are real believers who are putting it all on the line. They're not going to be the ones making the headlines. They're going to be like me and you. Just living it every day having boldness, 
having courage and, and reaching out to people. I don't know if 400 churches is accurate. Like Fritz said, I think it might, that might be actually low. So um, just about every corner in Tyler, we got a Mexican food restaurant, we got a church on the other corner, you know. So we're blessed. That's why they call this the, the buckle of the Bible belt, you know. But I'll tell you what, will make a huge impact on this city and what will be a greatest miracle that God could possibly do in a city like us. And that's if churches can find common ground, if they can come to a place where they really respect one another, where they appreciate the different expressions of the body of Christ that are different from them instead of seeing ourselves in competition with each other. That'll be a miracle, man. And not only that, but God's going to give us some meaningful work to do. And we'll get to do that work side by side with other believers. And you'll find out that you'll put a face on what it means to work, you know, with a Presbyterian <laughs> or with a Baptist, right? I mean, I was raised Catholic in East Texas, you know? I know what it's like to be in a minor minority, a misunderstood mi minority, right? And what I, t what I can tell you about it is Catholics are not much different than us. We all need Jesus. And some of them have some gifts and talents that, would, that put us in the shade. Their ability to be committed to something, their ability to follow through on what they say they're going to do. They're taking the lead in this um, uh, 40 days of, uh, for life um, and, and doing just a great job with it. Here's what I'm telling you. This city needs churches to work together, to respect one another, to be reluctant to point out other people's faults and failures, to be reluctant to look down on other people, but to look at them as other members. Jesus said, I got, I got you know, members of the flock that you guys don't even know about. You're going to be surprised. That's what this city needs. And that's the season that we're coming into, and I hope we take full advantage of it. Micah chapter 6, verse 8. And this also is, this is just one of those scriptures that I love, um, you know, that you just, you kind of go back to over and over and over and over again uh, because it's so simple, you know? I mean, how do we please the Lord? How do we do what God wants us to do? This scripture is a really, really simple way to approach it, and I think it's the hope for us to be a force to be reckoned with in this city. It says in Micah chapter 6, verse 8, it says, He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? And that's just three little suggestions. What does it mean to love God and love people? It looks like this. It means to do justice. The civil rights movement proved once and for all that our system of government isn't perfect but it's fixable. Our system of government is good. I, you know, I love the nation that we live in. I love America. Okay, we got big problems. But the civil rights movement is one of many movements that have proven that our, our system is not perfect, but it's fixable. If enough people will pray, if enough people will speak up and let their voices be heard, things can change. 
And there are some things that need to change. And they need our voice. They need us to be bold enough and willing enough to step up. It simply requires men and women living out of the gospel and speaking up, making their voice heard. If you look through the Old Testament, when we talk about justice, if you look through the Old Testament, when idolatry increased, justice went down. And we live in an age that has a whole lot more sophisticated, we think, sophisticated idols, but justice, justice suffers in an environment like that. When our God, and who is the God of mercy and the God of justice and the God of peace, when He rules and reigns, when His people live a lifestyle and, and, uh, and share a lifestyle with others um, that, it, that honors Him, justice comes up. Justice increases. Second one is mercy. God is the God of the second chance. It's really troubling to me to see how unforgiving we have become as a society. I've always had problems with being, people in church being un, unforgiving. But our society at large has forgotten how to forgive. Somebody gets painted with a particular you know, uh, uh, fault, and that'll be theirs forever. God is the God of a second chance. How many of you have experienced a second chance? You should have been lost. You should have been written off. And yet God looks at you and He says, I can do something with that. He says, get up. Get up. We've got work to do. He doesn't want us living in the past, and He wants us to be able to share that with other, other people with mercy. Mercy takes justice one step further. Mercy... To, to the older brother in the, um, in the uh, story of the um, uh, prodigal son, looked like injustice. But it was just like over the top. God, God was teaching us a in that story that he, he desired mercy and not sacrifice. And when I say sacrifice there, I don't mean the sacrificial love that we live. Because love is sacrificial. True love is sacrificial. True service is sacrificial. And when God said, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, what he was talking about is I don't want your religious practice, but I want your practical practice of mercy. Because the Pharisees had it down. They knew what the law was. They knew what was required. They knew what the penalty was for all of these things. And what Jesus was saying is, you're reading it wrong. Because God says, I desire mercy. And not some religious, religious act. He wants us to put it into practice with people. I don't know about you, but when I see somebody get what they deserve, there's something within me that just says, yeah, that's right, that's justice. That's not the way the heart of God is. The heart of God weeps for those who are under that oppression, who are trapped in that lifestyle. And yeah, He doesn't want to give them the full um, brunt of, uh, of the law he wants to extend mercy to them. He wants to give them a lifestyle. Mercy is what sacrificial love looks like. And I'll tell you what, it'll cost you. If you've ever been in a position to extend mercy to somebody, listen, there's no free lunch, and somebody's going to pay the price, and it'll probably be you. Are you with me? Jesus did not require, before he gave himself on the cross, he didn't say, now I'm going to do this, but you guys have to take full advantage of it, and you have to, you know, 
Like he came and he went to the cross with no guarantees. He freely gave himself. It wasn't a manipulation. He didn't force us into anything. He freely gave Himself. And that's what He wants us to do as well. He doesn't want us to go into it saying, no, I'm going to do this. I'm going to extend Myself, but you better appreciate it. No. That's not true love. And that's not what mercy looks like. Mercy looks like, I'm going to pay the price for this. I'm going to pay the price. I'm going to step up. I'm going to be with you in that. It'll cost you. Mercy is bearing someone else's burden, not saying that they got what they deserved. And then humility. Jesus described the proper attitude of a servant at the Last Supper. You remember that? When he was talking to his disciples, he said, when a servant goes and, uh, and, and, I mean, when his master comes, the servant doesn't sit down at the table. He's been working hard all day, right? He doesn't sit down at the table and have the master serve him. He serves the master. And he says, I've only done what my job is. I'm not expecting anything in return. When I was growing up, give you an idea of my, the type of family I grew up in, um, the teacher went out of the classroom one day and pandemonium broke, broke loose. And, uh, and I sat in my desk and I was quiet. I didn't, I didn't you know, get up or you know, act up or anything like that. I sat in my desk... And when the teacher came back in, I was the only one sitting. This is the exception to the rule. I just want you to know that. This is just one of those days that I don't know what got into me, but I just decided I'm going to do you know, what's right. And the teacher came back in, and she, she pointed me out, and she said, um, you know, Joe is sitting in his desk, and he's not acting up. You know, this is it's just a great example of what I expect when I walk out of the classroom. I went home and told my mom that, that night, expecting for her to give me a pat on the back. And she's like, well, you just did what you were supposed to do. No pat on the back. <laughs> you know? That's the attitude of a servant. She taught me something in that, that if I was doing that so that somebody would pat me on the back, I had the wrong motivation. My motivation should be I'm doing this because it's the right thing to do and because I want to do the right thing. Humility. Only doing what he's supposed to do. I had a, a, a I've told this story before, but I had an experience. The, uh, November, I think it was November of uh, 2000 uh, was the election that George Bush got elected, right? That, that, was, that was his um, election. So I went to vote that night, um, and we lived up um, close to the Lindale area. We voted in uh, New Harmony. And uh, so I drove up, and it had been raining all day, and I drove up um, to, to vote and parked my truck, and it's right when I parked, it was just like a gully washer came down, you know? And that's just the devil trying to keep me from voting, but it's not going to work. Anyway, when I, when I opened my door, I noticed that the guy next to me, um, who was in a Cadillac, um, was struggling to get out of his car, and he was struggling to get a wheelchair out of his car. And so I stepped over, you know, I had an umbrella, so I was holding my umbrella over him. I helped him get out, helped him get in his chair, and then I pushed him up to the, you know, to the, the, uh, the uh, precinct uh, voting area. And um, when I got there, I realized, you know, I can't leave the guy here, you know. So I had to wait. I voted, and then I waited for him to vote. And then he came back out, and uh, he never said a word to me. He didn't, he didn't say anything to me. 
In fact, he acted like he was a little bit irritated because he was struggling with the car and struggling with the wheelchair and, and all of that. And I walked him back out to his car, rain still coming down, just drenching uh, rain. Uh, and I opened the door and I helped him get in and I put his, put his wheelchair in. And then I went back and sat in my, in my truck. And uh, I didn't get any thanks for that. I didn't get any, you know, you're such a good person, you know. I don't even know who you are, but you must be an awesome guy. And I was sitting there in my truck, and the Lord spoke to my heart. And he said, if you've done this to the least of these, you've done it to me. And I just started crying. Because I was actually there. That, like Jesus told that parable about people doing stuff like that, and I was actually there, and I knew what it was actually like. Because I did it for that guy. I did it because he was in a wheelchair, you know? And because he was struggling to come and vote uh, and all of that. And I didn't get any thanks for it. And then lo and behold, God whispered into my heart, and he doesn't do that all the time. I mean, he leaves me on my own a lot. I'm trying to figure this thing out. He's not like, you know, babysitting me and, oh, you're such a good boy and, and all of that. It's like, come on, man, you know, have some backbone, you know? Step up, you know? This is, this is what we're doing. He's doing it right along with me, you know? And he spoke to my heart and he said, when you've done that to the least. If you've never had God speak that to you, or if you've never had the, uh, the validation in your spirit of doing something that is Christ-like, not like yourself, but Christ-like, then you don't understand what Jesus meant when he said, unless, if you want to be my disciple, unless you hate your own life, See, unless you come to the place where you're like, I don't want to be on my own. I don't want to be my own man. I want to be Christ-like. Because that's the only thing that makes life worth living. Is when I lay down my life for other people. When I'm not living my life just for my own self-aggrandizement. You know, when I'm not just living my life for my own self-satisfaction. When I'm not just taking care of myself, but I'm reaching out to somebody who, all it takes is a little bit, guys. It doesn't take everything. So here's what our faith requires of us. You have to advance me there. Can you mean next slide? There we go. Here's what our faith requires of us. How can we affect our city with the knowledge of Jesus Christ? The first is to live out your faith in a genuine way. There's a lot of, you know, hype and there's a lot of things that are being done for the camera and, and all of that. Listen, the true work of the kingdom of God has always been done by the rank and file. Not by the high profile people. They have their place. Thank God for that. And some of us have had maybe dreams, you know, of being doing great things for God. And that might happen. But I guarantee you, you will have the opportunity of doing a million small things greatly for God. And that'll add up to a life of doing great things for God. Live out your faith in a genuine way. As Elvis said, a little less talk and a little more action. Genuine faith is the deepest layer of who you are, not the superficial outer layer, not the, what we present to the, to the public, but it's the, outer, it's the inner layer. 
And when all of the things, and this is true, man, this is, this is key to understanding life, is when you go through hard times and those outer layers get peeled off, and maybe you are broken, and maybe you grieve, and maybe you're not who you thought that you were, and that's when that inner core comes out. And that's when the real you shines. And listen, you will make mistakes, and you will be broken, right? And you will have plenty of things to be sorry for, but there's going to be a nugget of gold in there that you can't get any other way. Precious faith that's been tested by fire. Live out your faith in a genuine way. The second is um, serve Christ by serving others. If we're only serving ourselves, then that's not going to be much use to God. He says, if you only love those who love you, then like, what use are you? You know, why are you? What do you, what do you have to be proud of? But when you love people that nobody loves when you care for people, that there's no, there's no um, rational reason for you to do this. Um, when we went to um, Africa uh, last year, somebody asked me um, how much they were paying us to be in Africa. And we're like, nobody's paying us. We're paying to be here. And they were blown away like that by that. So they're like, why would you do that? Why would you leave you know, a place with running water and electricity to come live for two weeks in a place that had no running water and no electricity. Why would you do that? And what's the answer to that? There's no rational reason for that. The only reason is, and what we were so excited about, is being able to bring the good news and the gospel to people, but especially to that team that is on the front lines day in and day out, that are laying down their lives for their brothers and sisters. And we came, and it was such a privilege to do that. Just felt like we were just, you know, shoulder to shoulder working with Jesus um, to do that. And then the third one is contextualize the gospel for this generation. Obviously, I stole this from Tim Keller. Um, uh, he, he's got a whole, like the whole first part of his book about reaching the city um, is about contextualizing the gospel um, I like the way he did, did it, though, because he, has, he invites somebody to, um, to uh, have a rebuttal. So there's a rebuttal chapter again, uh, in it, and the rebuttal chapter is all about you know, how contextualizing the gospel sometimes can dilute it or weaken it. And you know, Do you understand what contextualize means? It's like, what does the gospel mean here? What does it mean in this environment? What, is it, what does the gospel mean in this culture? And there's some things about this culture that are unique to this culture. We have a tendency to look back on the past and we kind of glamorize it or we kind of think that it was simpler times. I lived through that. It wasn't simple. I was thinking 20 years before that it was simple, right? And now we look back on those times and we think it was simpler times. It's not. It's all complicated. It's all a pain in the neck. It, it all takes a lot of investment on our part and a willingness to be able to see through the chaos and the fog and see God's purpose for our lives and to do it with all our heart. This is the only days that we have. And today is not any easier or any harder than any previous generation. Further, God is equipping every generation to reach that generation. It's His equipping that will do it. What does the gospel mean today? What does the gospel mean 
in our school system, the way our school system is today? Well, one thing, now there's a lot of, lot of difficult things that the school board is facing, but one of the things is test scores. I mean, that's what, and who shows up at the school board meeting asking, why are our test scores like this? Nobody. They have all the other controversies, but nobody shows up and says, why are our test scores? Do you know what some of the ways that the church can help with test scores? Mentoring. Actually being there. Have you ever thought about that? Maybe what God wants you to do to share the gospel is not stand on the corner and preach it. And there's nothing wrong with that. I guarantee you there's people that come to the Lord because of that. There's guilty people walking down the street and they hear that street preacher and they're like, I know that's God talking to me and it pierces their heart. But listen, there are so many more families that just need somebody to teach their kid algebra. Just to give them a chance. Maybe you don't know algebra. Maybe you love, you know, American history, you know, like I do. Maybe you can help a kid crack the nut that he can't crack on his own. And it's not just that. Listen, it's teaching a kid or teaching a family that they matter, that they're not losers, that they're not stupid. And maybe that will unlock something in that kid that says, maybe I can do this. Contextualizing the gospel for this generation. I'm going to close with a little story from um, several years ago. Um, how, many, how many of you guys like uh, jury duty? And you're in a safe environment now, so if you actually do like jury duty, you can, you can say, because I love ju- jury duty. I've only been chosen a couple of times but I'm, I'm here to sing the praises of jury duty, okay? Like, um, there was a judge here in Tyler. His name was Judge Mel. Did anybody ever have Judge Mel's, been in Judge Mel's court? Little bitty guy, old guy, and uh, he always gave a civics lesson before, um, before the trial. And he would always say, I think most judges do this, they say how much they appreciate um, people giving up their time and, uh, and coming down and serving on a jury. And he pointed out to us, he said, the, um, the American justice system is one of the fairest and most just in the world. It's not perfect. I'm not saying that it's perfect. And he said, it all depends on people like you showing up and doing your duty. So he thanked us for doing that. I got picked for a jury one time, and uh, the, uh, the defendant uh, was an African-American male, and obviously his lawyer didn't tell him how to dress to come, so he was dressed like I'm sure that he dressed all the time. He didn't dress up. Um, he was, you know, kind of ratty looking, you know, hair kind of, you know, messed up and stuff like that. And he came, and he was charged with, um, he had been arrested uh, by the Tyler PD, had been ticketed. Well, no, he was arrested. He was charged with a misdemeanor. Um, he had been arrested by the Tyler PD because he was sitting on a curb at uh, 1 o'clock in the morning uh, in North Tyler, and he had a pair of nunchucks in his back pocket. And nunchucks are illegal. That's uh, uh, a deadly weapon or something. I'm not sure what they're, what they're called. Um, but he had been arrested, and he had been charged with that, and he had nunchucks in his back po- pocket. And so when the um, uh, arresting officer testified um, to us as a jury, um, uh, the, defending, the defendant's uh, lawyer said, uh, what was his explanation for having uh, nunchucks in his back pocket? And the arresting officer said he said he was afraid of dogs. He said there's a bunch of wild dogs in North Tyler. 
I don't think so. I don't think that's what he's got nunchucks for. <laughs> maybe, his, maybe his friends that were dogs, but like he, that's to defend himself is what it is. Further, his, um, his, I think his defense attorney put him on the, on the stand and asked him what he was doing at 1 o'clock in the morning, sitting on the curb in North Tyler with nunchucks in his pocket. And he said, I was waiting for my ride to work. Turns out the guy worked at Tyler Pipe. He had worked there for like 20 years. He'd had no criminal record whatsoever. Now, how does my faith help me on this jury? I get to, I get to make a decision. I get to be able to say, do I believe this guy? What's the proper punishment for this? You see what I'm saying? That's what it means, man. That's what putting your faith on the line means, is that I get to influence this jury. So when we, got, we retired after the closing arguments and everything, we retired, and so the question was, the only question that we had to answer first was, is he guilty? So what's the answer to that? He is. He's guilty of having an illegal weapon, right? And so that's, to me, that's a no-brainer. I can't say, I feel sorry for the guy, he shouldn't have ever been arrested, we just need to let him go. That's not honoring the law. That's not saying that the law is important. So then they come back and they want us to talk about uh, punishment. And so, what's the proper punishment for this? Now, I don't, to look at the guy, I don't think that he had a whole lot of extra money. I'm sure that if he hired a defense attorney, he's probably paying something to that guy. I mean, he's probably already, you know, loaded up. So, members of the jury that, that I was serving on, and I, they had elected me foreman just because I can't shut up. I'm always talking. And, um, and I look like, you know, somebody that wanted to, I was excited about being on the jury. <laughs> the only one there. Uh, but they wanted to um, just give him a small fine um, and then suspend um, the sentence. And luckily we asked, what happens if you suspend a sentence? You know what happens if you suspend a sentence? They have to report to a probation officer for 10 years. So if we, get, if we find him like $5 for it, which I didn't think $5 was showing uh, respect to the law either, and then we suspended his sentence. We could have made this guy's life miserable, man. You know? And so here's what we did. We fined him 20 bucks, and we had him pay the 20 bucks, and that was said and done. And they assured us that if he kept his record clean, which he had been, he's, he had a clean record, that that whole thing would go away within a matter of five or, or ten years anyway. All I'm saying to you is, there are opportunities for us all over the place for us to be an influence on, in our city for us to stand up for justice, for us to, to uh, operate out of compassion for people that have less than us. Do you know the reason why God instituted the tithe to Israel? He instituted the tithe because He wanted them to remember that they were not, they didn't deserve what they had. Even though they may have worked hard for what they had, it was God who had given them that. And the advantages that we have this morning in the exact same way are advantages that have been given to us by God, not because we're some kind of special people. And the tithe that we give is that time that we give or that money that we give to serve other people, acknowledging I'm nobody special 
And if I was in your shoes, I would want somebody to reach out to me and care for me. So let me, let me close with this. Did I already say that? Let me close. Let me close with this. Um, I heard a guy preach one time, and he was like, in closing, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. All right. Okay. Secret stuff going on up here. I forgot to uh, unveil our picture. Two things I want to suggest to you, and both have to do with margin uh, in your life. So when you're thinking about your schedule, when you're thinking about your time, if you don't, if you don't have control of your time, you're always going to feel like it's like this. But set aside some time to do exactly what we're talking about. Set aside some time now, and listen, honor that appointment. Honor that time in your calendar like you would an appointment, you know, with your doctor. Okay? Say, this is, this is time that I have dedicated to doing this, whether it's mentoring, whether it's serving, in whatever way you do it. The earlier, listen, young people, the earlier that you can make this part of your lifestyle, the better it'll be and the more rewards you'll have throughout the rest of your life. And the other thing is, and I've suggested this to you before, and I've had a couple of people tell me that they've done it. I don't know how many people actually do it, but take a $20 bill and fold it up and put it in the back of your wallet or in the back of your purse and let that be some margin so that the next time somebody comes and needs something, you'll have that 20 bucks. It's already set aside, okay? Everybody with me on that? 20 bucks is not going to break anybody, right? It's just 20 bucks, but it can make such a big difference um, to somebody. You'll run into somebody who's just having a hard time or somebody that just has a, a particular need or something like that, a friend, a neighbor, a family member. Man, have you ever been on the receiving end of something like that where somebody just says, and sometimes people just cannot believe it. Just put some margin in your life. Just put some margin in your in your budget. Maybe once a month say, I'm going to take 20 bucks, I'm going to set it back, and my goal this month is to give that 20 bucks away to somebody who needs it. Okay? That's what it's going to take, man. It just takes us being intentional about making some margin in our lives to do the things that God has called us um, to do. So let's stand together. And I want us to pray um, for Fritz and uh, for TISD um, just as kind of a, a touch point um, and, I, and I do hope that you guys are praying about how you can be involved um, in our city, in our schools. Um, there's so many different things that we're going to be dealing with. Mentoring is one of those things. Um, sex trafficking uh, in Tyler. Some people don't recognize that Tyler is, um, has a real problem uh, with that. Most cities do, but Tyler definitely does. Um, uh, 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 interracial um, uh, relations um, in Tyler. Um, we are not um, immune um, to the stresses and the tension that is in our country. But I'm telling you what, man, there are pastors and, and city leaders right now that are addressing those things ahead of time. All of this is going to come, come home to roost at some point. We're sowing seeds that are going to bring about some, God can do some great things in our city. And then pray for um, City Fest as our churches come together to find some meaningful things to do to serve our city and improve our city and for the church to be a force to be reckoned with in our city. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. Father, we just thank you for um, our brother Fritz um, today, Lord. Um, thank you, Lord, for um, his willingness to serve. 
uh, Lord. And thank you for the exhortation today um, that he gave us. It's so easy for us to retreat into our bubbles. It's so easy for us to do what uh, we feel like is the right thing to do for us, um, not realizing that when we're only looking after ourselves, um, that many, many, many other people um, will suffer. And I pray for him, Lord. I pray for wisdom. I pray for courage. Um, I pray, Lord Jesus, that you just encourage his heart today, Lord, um, to remind him why he's doing what he's doing. Um, and I pray that you'd surround him, Lord Jesus, uh, with people who would uh, encourage him and support him uh, and be a strength um, to him, Lord Jesus, especially in the difficult uh, times that he faces. He needs wisdom, Lord, just like Solomon needed wisdom to rule and to, uh, to serve uh, well. And he needs wisdom. I just pray that you give him an extra measure of wisdom, Lord, especially for the difficult decisions um, that he faces. We just thank you for that. And Lord, I pray for us um, as a congregation. I pray, Lord Jesus, in the, in the, uh, in the year ahead um, with the opportunities that you're going to bring to us, Lord. Um, I pray for us individually to all find a spot to serve, um, to, to have the boldness to step out of our comfort zones, Lord, um, into unfamiliar territory and to see you there already working. But I pray, Lord Jesus, for us um, as a congregation, Lord. I pray that Tyler Christian Fellowship would be a, a force for good, a, a godly influence um, in our city, Lord, that you would raise our profile in this city, um, not by, uh, out of pride uh, in ourselves, Lord, um, but out of a belonging in this city, out of uh, knowing, Lord Jesus, that you have called us um, to this city, that we are a gift um, to this place and to this region, Lord. And, uh, and just that you'd be glorified in that. We just thank you for it, Lord Jesus. Amen. God bless you and you're dismissed this morning. I kept looking at the Maybe he's saving the token for